One's always grateful when a verse of scripture comes immediately to one's mind. And when, a few weeks ago, I was invited to be here this Sunday morning, I had noted this verse, and it had stood out, and I immediately saw something of its relevance, and I pondered it. It's that part of the verse, the end, where... David says of God, you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Whenever I read that verse, I think of one church, um, some of you may know it. Um, As you approach it, you go up a a driveway, and there at the the very first thing you see as you look for any kind of notice or description are these words. You have exalted above all things your name and your word. I believe it was very significant that a church fellowship felt that that was the first thing they wanted anyone to remember as they came to that church building. Because it is, in fact, an essential truth and a vital revelation. It's not an exaggeration to say that the whole of the Bible is the record of how God has revealed his name. By his name, we mean his character, his essential attributes or characteristics, his essence, the sum of all his attributes. God's attributes, his characteristics, are like the spelling of his name. When perhaps someone um, speaks to you on the phone and uh, they ask your name, to make sure that they get it right, you may spell it. Prime. P for Peter. R for Robert. I for item. M for mother. E for Edward. You spell it out carefully so that they know exactly what your name is. And God's attributes, his characteristics, are like the spelling out of his name. When God first appeared to Moses, you remember that Moses was troubled as to how he would describe the God who had appeared to him. What shall I say to them when they ask me about your name? And God's answer was, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am. Can't really put into words all that's behind those two English words. I am. I am the self-existent God. The only God. The God who now reveals himself to you. And then the revelation of God's name went on. When on another significant occasion... God gave to Moses the Ten Commandments. We're told that he stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name. And then this happened. The Lord said, I am the Lord. The Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And in spelling out 
these attributes he was declaring his name and there was only one thing Moses could do he bowed and he worshipped the revelation to us of God's name is an unspeakable privilege to tell someone your name is to reveal something of yourself to them you may meet a complete stranger maybe on a plane on a bus, on a train and you may converse together that person remains a stranger until you exchange names I've travelled many times in the past not so much in recent years but travelled by a second class sleeper to London used to do it quite regularly when I was here at the chapel once every month and uh, I can only remember one traveller that I travelled with it was when we exchanged our names I could tell you his name now it must be all of 30 years ago since then but we exchanged names in fact I discovered that he was a member of Morningside Baptist Church but we exchanged names it's not until you know someone's name that you really know who they are and just as we are known by our names so God makes known his name to us an American Vincent Donovan worked among the Maasai in Tanzania and quite naturally like both British and American people he felt it was the right thing to tell them his name who asked their name but he was soon advised that among the Maasai this was regarded as very rude you didn't use names quickly rather you used descriptions or titles perhaps but never knowing the person's name and one day one of the Maasai came to him one of the chief Maasai and said to him do not throw my name about my name is important my name is me my name is for my friends when he moved on to another area among the Maasai he adopted the custom of not declaring his name and not asking theirs and after working for them and with them for some while perhaps as a parting gift when he was leaving one of the elders told him his name and Vincent Donovan felt flattered he remembered what the Maasai had said my name is for my friends now I'm emphasizing that because honestly if you think it through to know God's name is the greatest privilege now we know that God has revealed his name in many ways in his works for example in the works of creation on a lovely morning like this I normally walk around the canal first thing of the morning in Edinburgh and on a morning like this there have been times when I just stopped I've observed a wildflower in all its beauty amongst many things that are not so beautiful I've stopped and listened to a bird I've marveled at God's revelation of himself in creation we know his revelation in providence in history in how he's dealt with his people 
His name is revealed in his word, the scriptures, the very Bible I hold in my hands. His name is revealed supremely in our Lord Jesus Christ, who understandably is called the Word. And when he came, what did he do as the Word? We're told he was full of grace and truth. You and I cannot look directly at the sun. It would harm our eyes. But we know what it is to feel the warmth of the sun and its reality. You and I cannot look upon God. And yet, as we understand his attributes, the truth about him, just like the sun shining when it shines through the clouds and you feel its warmth, so we may feel the reality of all that God is as he shines upon us. And then, like Moses, we worship. We fall down before God. Have you ever thought of how appropriate it is that the first request in what we know as the Lord's Prayer is, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. I wonder if the Lord Jesus taught us that prayer because of the importance supremely of that first petition. Now, what this psalm says, what David says, is that this essential truth is that God has exalted above all things, no exception, has exalted above all things his name and his word. And having said that, he then pinpoints two characteristics of God, his love and his faithfulness. Take just the example of God's love in the creation of our bodies. We all take them for granted until something goes wrong. But each one of us can echo David's words as he contemplated it. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm a walking miracle. And so are you. A miracle of God's love and grace. But consider God's greater love still in Calvary, in the death of the Lord Jesus. This is love, the Bible says, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Every day of my life, I'm sure it's true of you if you're a Christian, every day of your life you you ponder in some way the wonder of the death of the Lord Jesus, the love of God in his Son. You never tire of exploring it, singing about it. And the wonderful thing is that whilst he died for his church, whilst God sent his Son into the world, to save sinners, you can say the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. But David not only marvels at God's love, but he marvels too at God's faithfulness. You think of David, looking back over his life, 
from the time he was born, God's hand was upon him. He could think of how God had been faithful to him even when David had been unfaithful to God. David was a walking miracle of God's grace. And it made David want to sing. That's why this psalm begins, I will praise you, O God, with all my heart. Before the gods I will sing your praise. Before all the gods. He knew that all other so-called gods were no gods. He knew that God's glory is great. I walked around Lauriston Castle just the other week. I've done it many times over the years. But for the first time I noticed engraved in the stone in this house that was built in the 16th century are these words. God is great. He is our bliss. He is our bliss. What a lot it says about the people who lived in that house, who had it built. He is our bliss. Do you say that this morning? Makes me want to sing hallelujah. For he is my bliss through the Lord Jesus God is everything. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we mustn't fail to notice that what David does in this psalm is remind us that with God's exhortation of his name, there is his word. God has made himself known to us in many ways, as we've seen. But most clearly in his word. Look at verse 4. David says, may all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. God's word, the scriptures, the Bible, what I hold in my hand, are God's words. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. In his works of creation, we see his goodness, his wisdom, and his perfection but we cannot discern God's purposes. It's in his word that God lets out his secrets. For example, I could read in a history book that Jesus Christ died on the cross. But how could I understand that without God's word? You'll be in Psalm 2, I think, next Sunday evening. And in that psalm, you'll be discovering, or discovering anew, that before ever the world was made, God said to his son, Ask of me, and I will give the heathen for your inheritance. God promised his son a people gathered from all the nations of the world. It's in his word that we learn what happened at the cross, how mercy and truth met together, how righteousness and peace kissed each other. You couldn't understand that without the scriptures. Not one of us here would have a clue. It's in his word that we discover God's good purposes for us in the Lord Jesus to give us everlasting hope, everlasting life, to enjoy him forever. And what is more, his word assures us of his love and faithfulness. 
What happened when the Lord Jesus came into the world? Well, two specific things happened. He revealed God's name. And he delivered God's word. The Lord Jesus could say, He who has seen me has seen the Father. He could say, My words will never pass away. Just think for a moment. What are the two greatest temptations that come to us in life and especially when we've come to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ? The first temptation, I find, is that Satan attacks God's character. And the second is that he tries to make me doubt God's word. So, for example, when something unpleasant happens in life, and many unpleasant things happen in life, have you not heard the evil one insinuating to you, how can God love you if he allows that? When you lose someone whom you love, Have you not heard the evil one say to you, how can you believe that there's life after death and heaven for those who believe in God's Son? And yet the remarkable thing is that there are two things I can use against Satan before which he always falls. I can remind him of the faithfulness and love of the unchanging God who loves me in Jesus Christ. And I can take up this word as a sword and declare God's promises which have behind them God's faithfulness and love. Like David, we may affirm, you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Now let me now apply the truth of this. I believe this is a dynamic principle by which to live. As I've been thinking of it this past week or so, I found that it, it's helped me incalculably in living my Christian life. It explains, for example, why we can have such confidence when we pray, and especially when we meet together to pray. The importance of prayer is not that we believe in prayer. I know what people mean when they say, I believe in prayer, but there's a snare in that. Prayer isn't magic. We believe in the God who answers prayer. We believe in a God who is absolutely faithful and loving. And when we pray as we ought, we pray in the name of of Jesus. The name that God has put above every other name. I get worried sometimes, although I hope I'm not critical, when I hear prayer offered and no reference to praying in the name of the Lord Jesus. Because his is the name above every name. 
And when we pray, how do we pray? Well, we pray in accord with God's character. And we pray in accord with what he has promised. That's what's so exciting about a prayer meeting. There's something wrong if we gather in prayer and we're not excited at the prospect of what God may choose to do as we honor his name and the name of his son. It explains, too, where our strength and our courage come from. We're not strong as believers because of how long we've been believers. We're not strong as a church because of how many members we have or what gifts we have. The Lord is our strength. And his word is our weapon. Do you remember David going against Goliath? It's a lovely story. Too often we reserve it just for the children. But here's Goliath. He looks at David looks at him with scorn, comes to David and says, am I a dog that you should come against me with sticks? And he cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, come here, I'll give your flesh to the birds. David said to him, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me. All who are here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. Did you notice verse 3 of our psalm? When I called, David said, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. I wonder whether he was thinking of that day when he stood before Goliath. What was David thinking when he saw this Goliath? He called to the Lord. And the Lord made him bold and start-hearted. This principle is relevant to us as a church fellowship. For example, we're here this morning to worship the Lord. What is our, our purpose this morning? Well, it is to exalt above everything his name, his love and his faithfulness. We sing of his ways. Verse 5 talks about singing of his ways and in declaring the greatness of his glory. Our object as we worship is not to please ourselves, but to please him who loved us and gave himself for us. The second purpose of our worship, according to Colossians, is that the word of Christ may dwell in us richly. That this word which declares the glory of our Savior, how God wants us to live, that it might so dwell within us that it influences everything we do. And at the same time, we worship him by doing whatever we do to the glory of God. So that those who welcomed us as we came in, those who may collect the pieces of paper we leave behind, those who prepare the coffee, they do it as to the Lord. It's worship. Every part of life has as its goal to worship him. It's relevant to our reading and listening to God's word. Because God honors his name and his word above all things, 
we do the same thing. I'm aware that symbolic actions can only be symbolic. But I haven't been unappreciative of the fact, when I've been in some congregations, I think particularly in Germany, where when the scriptures are read, the congregations stand up and listen. Or in many congregations in Scotland, as the service begins, the Bible is brought in and everyone stands. Now, I know such actions can be meaningless and empty. But I do want to express to God how much I value his word. We honor God's word because it is his word. We honor him by letting it regulate our behavior. We don't sit in judgment upon the Bible. We let it judge us. We don't take offense at what it says. We delight to obey it. And this emphasizes, too, this principle of what we do in our evangelism. What is the heart of our evangelism? Well, it's declaring the Lord Jesus as the final revelation of God's name. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets at many times, different ways. But in these days, God has spoken to us through his Son. His Son, the Father's delight. And when we declare the gospel, we declare salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. The name of the Lord Jesus. And we proclaim there's only one Savior, Paul and Silas in prison. A jailer cries out, What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And having declared his name, they then spoke the word of God to him. That's our message. One Savior, one Lord, one living Savior who saves all who call upon him. And it also gives me confidence when people come to Christ. Do you remember how Paul said to the Ephesian elders as he said goodbye to them? He said, I commit you to God, that is to his name, and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance. Isn't it interesting that the one way in which Luke describes progress in the Acts of the Apostles is that as the name of the Lord Jesus was proclaimed in all the fullness of his grace and glory, the word grew and multiplied. That was how the church grew. But let me also say that it's relevant to us as individuals, not just as a church. Because it reminds me that there's nothing more precious that God has given to me than the understanding of his name and the name of his son. And it's in his word that this comes about. It's in his word that I'm, I grow to understand that it's worth reckoning everything else but loss compared with the surpassing worth 
of knowing the Lord Jesus, the Word of God, the Savior. And it's here that I experience God's help. I don't know whether many of you have read that old book, still in print, A Thousand Miles of Miracle in Modern China. It goes back to the time of the Boxer Rebellion, when a Mr. and Mrs. Glover were escaping for their lives with one of their colleagues, a Miss Gates, and Mrs. Glover collapsed. The Imperial Boxers were very close at hand, and they just had to stop. And Mr. Glover tells in the book, I've got the details here, that he said, I heard the hiss of the serpent Satan saying, where are God's promised mercies now? His wife cried out, oh God, have you forsaken us? And scarcely had those words been uttered than God put into the mouth of Miss Gates, their companion, the most wonderful song of praise. She poured out verse after verse from the scriptures, exalting his name. And this is what I found fascinating in the light of what we saw at the beginning of this psalm, declaring God's faithfulness and unchangeable love. And then something happened. The expression in Mrs. Glover's face became full of joy. Joy unspeakable in the Lord Jesus. She said, I will never doubt him again. And then together, with their lips parched, with the imperial boxes not far behind them, the three of them knelt and said, How sweet the name of Jesus sounds. In a believer's ear, it soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. Do you know the preciousness of the name of the Lord Jesus? Do you find the very mention of his name in all your sorrows and fears and weaknesses the secret of your strength? It's the loveliest name in all the world, isn't it? Only God can reveal to you that loveliness. I read just this last week afresh of Henry Martin, one of the first missionaries to India, died as a young man. And one day, he had cried out, let me burn out for God. Some of his friends saw how grieved he was when he heard the name of Jesus blasphemed. And they questioned him about it, and this is what he said. I could not endure existence for one moment if Jesus was not glorified. It would be hell to me if he was to be always thus dishonored. You have exalted above all things your name and your word. I would suggest to you this morning that these words humble us. They put us in our rightful place before God. 
they reveal to me the nature of sin. They reveal to me just how much I've fallen short of God. I've sometimes ignored the significance of his name, his holy, his just, his loving. There have been times in our lives when we've ignored his word. We've known what his word says, and we haven't done it. And God calls us to set his name and his word above everything else. Let me just illustrate to you, as I draw to a close, how relevant this is. Let's think this next week, you have the opportunity of sharing with someone the good news of the Lord Jesus. How will you do it? It's not a matter matter of technique, is it? What you would do, I hope, is you would begin with God's name, his character. You'd explain that God is our creator, that we are tenants in his world, that he's the holy one, and the judge and therefore we all stand in need of his forgiveness and pardon you reveal to them that he's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the God who saves and then to confirm it you're turned to his word so that they know it's not your words they're hearing but God's you might turn to John 3.16 or those words of Paul to the Philippian jailer. And what have you been doing? Unconsciously, you've been exalting God's name and his word above everything. Or perhaps this week you write to someone. Could be like Barbara Hodder, we were thinking of in our prayers this morning, who's been bereaved. Or you write to someone who's seriously ill. How do you do it? Well, you identify what in God's character you know is relevant to them. God is the God of compassion, the God of all mercies. And then you think of a scripture that is relevant to their need. How that God says to them to cast all their care upon him. Or you think of another situation that happens very often we're troubled troubled about God's will perhaps involving a difficult relationship within the family, at work or in the church fellowship rather than thinking of how you may escape it or find an easy way out what do you do? well surely what you do is you say What in God's character shows me how I should behave? God who is patient, God who is kind, God who is full of grace and truth. And then you will think of a scripture that will confirm it. Perhaps a scripture that says, forgive others as God has forgiven you. Or confess your sins to one another. Apologize. And what are you doing? You're putting God's name and his word above everything. Or last of all, 
how one should long for the quickening of God's people today, a true reviving, what need there is in our nation and in the church. Well, what are our motives? Our motive mustn't be our success or our pride. The only proper motive for praying for God to move among his church today is that his name and the name of his son will be glorified, honored, loved, respected and that his word will be obeyed out of gratitude for the God of grace and of glory. And what are you doing? You're praying putting his name and his word above everything. This is our spiritual agenda. It's our greatest privilege. This is what God made me for. This is what the Lord Jesus saved me for. To live to the praise of his name and of his faithful word. Just one word and I've done. It may be that there's someone here this morning and you've known very little of this in experience. But you see, that was true for all of us. That was our sin that once we lived without thinking about God and ignoring his word, even though we may have known much of it. And this is what you have to do this morning. You have to bow before this God who made you, in whose world you live, not as an owner, but as a tenant and get right with him. And as you get right with him, he will reveal his mercy and his love. And through the Lord Jesus and his death, he will put you in the right with him. And you'll begin to live no longer for yourself, but for the God who loved you and gave his son to die for you. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we bow before you with a sense of sorrow and yet of extreme gratitude. Sorrow, our Father, that so often we've lived unmindful of your glory, of your name and so often disobedient to your word. But how we thank you as we've sung in our hymn that you have given us a savior before your throne above. We have a strong and perfect plea. We thank you for our Lord Jesus and all that he has done for us as sinners. And we thank you. And as best we know how, we would offer ourselves afresh to you wanting that every day we may live as those who rejoice in your name and rejoice in obeying your word. And Father, we ask that if you've spoken to us this morning about our need to be right with you, oh, may your gracious spirit help us now to call upon you call upon you for your forgiveness 
and for the grace to live as you want us to live. And to your name, we will give all the praise through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.